Okay, Chris Lee here, the host of Southeastern 14's SEC Daily. We are not doing today's show live. We're doing this Wednesday afternoon, or excuse me, Tuesday afternoon. And going to air it as a premiere on Wednesday as our live show. Um, and while I'm doing this, I'll actually be in Birmingham, probably with this guy here, Drew DeArmond, at SEC Basketball Media Day. So it'll be really weird uh, maybe being with you at a time that this show is airing on our channel, uh, but but talking a different sport. But anyway, that's where we are. It's that time of year. Uh, welcome to the show, Drew DeArmond. Yeah, well, it's great to be back with you on Southeastern 14, Chris. You know, you guys do a great job, you and Blake. And as you guys know, I'm a, I'm a huge basketball guy, too, and I'm looking forward to hearing from Nate Oates and Bruce Pearl tomorrow. I'll, I'm going to head down after our morning show. We, we go from 7 to 9, and i uh, got another uh, show to do in the 9 o'clock hour. But after that, I'm headed down to the Bohemian Hotel in Mountain Brook, Alabama, the highfalutin place, as I like to call it. And uh, <laughs> it's uh, – it's it's always a good venue for uh, basketball, and uh, it'll be an all day event tomorrow. And looking forward to being there. And I know Coach Oates speaks at about one o'clock right after lunch, and then Bruce Pearl I think is from three to three twenty. Uh, we'll have a chance to hear from a couple of players, Joni Broom, and uh, and of course Jalen Williams will be his second straight year doing it. Heard from him last year. He's back for his COVID year with Auburn, and and it'll be interesting for the for Alabama. It'll be their backcourt, Mark Sears, one of only three and returners four. Uh, if you count the red shirt, uh, Davin Cosby, who enrolled early last year in January, uh, Nick Pringle being the other uh, big man who played some last year, as we know. And then, of course, uh, you know, it, 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 and they'll have another returner as well. So they've got th- they got three guys returning uh, that played in the rotation. But uh, uh, it's now in college basketball, it's so transient that. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need a you know a, a media guide for everybody because I know, <laughs> I, know. I know some there's some there's folks that return in each on each squad, but very very few, probably less than five or six per squad, and so it's just become uh, the the uh, the norm now in college hoops. But looking forward uh, definitely to uh, being out there tomorrow, and and uh, again uh, Mark Sears and Aaron Estrada, the transfer from Hofstra. Uh, who will likely be his backcourt mate, will be uh, there for Alabama. So looking forward to that. All right. As always, uh, looking for sponsors for our channel. If you're interested, caroline.smith at southeastern14.com. Drew, let's switch sports because people are here for football. Let's talk some football. Big, big, big game ahead for Tennessee and Alabama. Let's start with the Crimson Tide. How are you, or I guess let's say, what's the mood around the program and the fan base after last week. Because, look, it's a win. In the SEC, you never take that for granted, especially not this year where there's so much parity. But uh, the, the way Alabama got there, uh, that was a little concerning. Maybe you heard some players talk afterwards about maybe I'm putting words in people's mouth, less than best effort. It was just kind of a, a weird day last time out for the Crimson Tide. Well, I mean, I thought they played hard. I just didn't think they played smart. Uh, you know, they – I didn't – I wasn't surprised they came out a little slow and were a little flat, uh, you know, against Arkansas because of uh, – emotionally it's hard to get up for every game because, again, a couple things uh, and really three were working in there uh, against them. They they put a lot into the A&M game. Uh, they were an underdog by a lot for a lot of people in that game. Uh, which is a rarity. I know Alabama was a slight favorite. I think by the time the game got two, two and a half, many people were picking Alabama to lose that game. Um, and so they, they, and, and it was a kind of a, 
a revenge game from two years ago. They did win a close one yeah. last year in Tuscaloosa, but everybody knew what happened in College Station two years ago. Uh, and it was the first road start for uh, our second, excuse me, second true road start, pardon me, uh, you know, for Jalen Milrose. So, but it was a, a game that was the, the game of the week in the SEC, really. And uh, they put a lot into that. And so uh, you expect them to be a little flat because the next game you're playing Arkansas. They've beaten Arkansas 16 years in a row. Uh, B, it's homecoming, and C, it's the dreaded 11 a.m. kickoff. So you kind of figure they might start a little slow. And just if you've watched this Alabama team, uh, they've started slow in just about every game offensively because they are a work in progress. Certainly they did that this time. Arkansas, uh, Cam Little, I, I, I call this the kicker bowl a little bit because I'm not sure you'll see a better matchup of kickers in college football yeah. the rest of the year with Cam Little who kicked a – 55-yard field goal that would have been good from 65 and then kicked another 50-plus yarder because to Alabama's credit defensively, uh, I know they had some they, they had the hiccup in the third quarter and the latter stages of the third quarter into the fourth, but they came out, didn't let Arkansas even get to the uh, red zone, really. Gave up the couple field goals, but once Alabama woke up offensively with the 79-yard pass to Kobe Prentice, they went on a big run. Uh, it's kind of boomer bust with Milrow. He made several big time yeah. vertical throws. Burton, Nye Black, a touchdown. Before you know it, they're up 21 to six at halftime, feeling good. They come out in the second half. They really start to finally establish the line of scrimmage. They buried the running game a little bit with Tommy Rees. I thought getting uh, Jam Miller into the game and also uh, certainly Justice Haynes was big. Uh, and they were able to run the football pretty well. But as is the issue with this Alabama team, they, they're not very good in the red zone because, again, uh, they have a young quarterback, even though he's a redshirt sophomore. Who, I mean, he, Milrow is as raw as any quarterback they've started. And, you know, they, he just he's a guy that's a really good athlete, but he's still coming into his own as a, as a quarterback. And they, Alabama, one of the most sobering stats, and it's why a lot of people picked A&M to beat them on, uh, the week before, is going into the A&M game, uh, Milrow had no red zone touchdown passes. All wow. year, Alabama didn't have any as a team, but he had two for to Burton. And I don't know, you just get a feel for things. And I just had a funny feeling, you know, everybody's telling and saying Alabama's going to lose. Everybody's telling them, you know, Milrose not any, not you know, can't play. It's going to be one of those games where he's going to play his best game against A and M, and Alabama will win a close one. And that's what they did. They won it twenty six twenty. I think I had picked, uh, you know, twenty seven twenty four. Uh, so I, I kind of felt like Alabama would find a way to win and Milrow would play well. But I'll be honest, he did it a little bit of a different way. I thought he would make more plays with his legs, but he threw for 300 yards, his first 300-yard passing game. He was really, for the most part, sharp with his short and intermediate stuff. Uh, you know, he, you know, they, I, I think there's probably only three or four passes that I felt like all day were off target a little bit, and they weren't off target by much. So I, I thought Milrow was really sharp, but then you you fast forward. I thought he played uh, a, a good first half against Arkansas because he got the vertical game going uh, at halftime. So if you go back and you count, okay, Mississippi State on the road, you count A and M, and then this first half, he put two and a half good quarter or games together. Pardon me, but I thought the second half was putrid against uh, against Arkansas and. Look, the way the reason I say it and I'm that harsh is there were receivers open. There were people yeah. open. I, everybody gets on Tommy Rees 
And, uh, well, if he had just kept running the football, you know, just keep calling the same run. Look, guys, football's a chess match. Arkansas was getting gashed. So Travis Williams, who I think does a good job in his first year as D.C., started walking the safeties up, started loading the box. You're not going to just sit there and, and stay in the same defenses. You're going to take the run away, and you have to hit throws to continue to back them up and keep the running game working. You can't – in this era of football, you can't run every down. You have to right. play. And I just thought Milrow left a lot of plays out there. Uh, and I thought for the first time this year, because it was a big question coming in because of the drops in the preseason and everything, I thought it was the worst game for the receiver core because they had a couple of drops in the second half. And then and, – and, and also, if you go back and watch Alabama this year, Chris, in every game until last week, they've had – two or three, wow, he really made a great catch and and climbed the ladder and helped the quarterback out. Well, there wasn't any of those on Saturday. And so yeah. that's, you know, they were more wide open stuff and they made those plays, but they didn't make any great plays and had a couple drops. And so I didn't think it was the wide receivers course best game to help out Milrow. And you combine all that and then all of a sudden you're not sustaining drives and you're going three and out. And then the biggest bonehead play of the day, and it was to me, and I saw it happen right in front of me, was Jalen Key. He commits a stupid personal foul. And, you know, there's people, well, you know, it was, it was an iffy call. No, it wasn't, because guess what? And even if the guy hit him first, and that's probably what happened, you know how these, uh, these fights go. Yeah. But you can't body slam the guy right in front of the ref after the play's over. <laughs> because Arkansas had basically given up. It was third down and about eight, and they ran the ball. And Alabama knocked the guy out of bounds. It was going to be about fourth and four, fourth and five. They were going to punt again. And then all of a sudden, you body slam the guy. It's 24 to six. And you punt. You Instead of punting, uh, they punt, they're not punting to you. They get a first down. Then they score. And you know how football is. It's like an avalanche sometimes. You yeah. Them one time. Then they start converting third downs. Then uh, Alabama has a chance to sack uh, you know, uh, KJ Jefferson on a safe on a uh, on a blitz from and and uh, and Terry and Arnold was blitzing from the star position where he was in place of Malachi Moore. He shakes off Terry on, completes a pass on, and then they convert a third down. Then they convert another third down to score and hit the two point conversion. Then you're in a dog fight. You're just trying to survive. And to Alabama's credit, uh, Milrow did finally get it together. On that one drive, they had to have it. He finally ran for first down, used his legs on third down. He hit Nye Black on a big uh, second down play when they were backed up after another stupid penalty. And then they ran the clock out just not to give Arkansas a chance. So, Because, again, in, in my mind, I'm thinking, if you give the ball back to Arkansas, they just got to get past midfield and Cam Little's in field goal range. So you better you know, run the clock out. And so they did – it was an ugly win, but as I told some people, and you may have seen my Twitter account, I was going back and forth all weekend. Look, you never apologize for winning. Uh, they won the game. It was ugly. And what the biggest thing I took out of it, honestly, and, and this is from an Arkansas perspective, and I know you, you guys at Southeastern 14 cover every squad, is, look, I know they're frustrated. They've lost five in a row, and there's questions about Coach Pittman. I don't have any questions about him. I don't think there should be. I think – he should definitely be back next year because that team plays hard for him. Yes. They, they could have quit, you know, in the last several games. They don't ever quit. They keep battling. This is not a Chad Morris situation. Uh, you know, they have some deficiencies, and 
much like Alabama, their offensive line has struggled. Uh, and he may have to tweak his coaching staff. Uh, but I think they're a pretty good football team still, even though the SEC is a little down. And I'll be interested to see how they play down the stretch because I thought they fought and fought hard. And now Alabama has to learn from, you know, their mistakes. And they've got to, they've got to cut out. They cut the penalties down in this game. I think they had five penalties. But they had some really stupid ones, about three of them. Like they did something that I have never seen in my life, Chris. They got a false start on taking a knee. <laughs> you can do that. I mean, I've never seen that either. Nick Saban had an aneurysm. I think everybody was just stunned. I mean, you're taking a knee, dude. The game's over, and you and you get a stupid penalty. So they're gonna have to really, and maybe this is a good thing for Alabama, a wake up call because. They're going to have to play much, much better against Tennessee. This is not a Tennessee team with Joe Milton that is as good as people, some people thought they would be. I yeah. thought they would be the second-best team in the East. They still may very well be. I don't think they're nearly as good as last year or nor as explosive, but they're still a good football team. And so Alabama's got to refocus and, and, and you know, really clean some things up along the offensive line and with the penalty situation. And then Milrow has got to be sharp. They need the A&M Milrow Saturday in order to get some revenge and beat Tennessee in this rematch from a year ago. Yeah, for a, a team where the effort is has waned, um, South Florida was another one it, at times. Does Alabama have a little bit of an advantage? I mean, obviously it does by playing at home, but look – Alabama lost to Tennessee in, in a minute until last year. And then that, and I'm guessing they got a little bit extra in the tank after what happened in Knoxville last year. Fair or no? Well, you know, on the show this morning on talking ball, my daily show, that, that question was brought up about do the players, uh, what do they know about this rivalry? And I said, to be honest with you, most of them just know Alabama's dominated. They don't even know who Philip Fulmer is. And that's yeah. just, the thing. I'm not, I, I, now, if there's one rat ass, pardon, I, I can say that on your channel, I think, that I can't stand, it's Philip Fulmer. Uh, I mean, he he ruined this rivalry. It's because yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of class and respect between Alabama and Tennessee until he came along. But I'll just say this: the players don't know anything about him. Yeah. They, they don't. He, he, you know, they don't even realize he was probably athletic director two or three years ago. They don't pay attention to that. Only the fans do. The fans still have vitriol or, or even people like me in the media business who can't stand Philip Fulmer. Uh, they they know about Fulmer, but the players don't. They know about the cigars and they know that the fans love the rivalry and it's and it's a big deal to people, but they don't know about the backstory. That Now, what they do know, and it's what you just mentioned, I think a lot of them remember last year. They remember the fans rushing onto the field and the tearing down the goalposts and you know, what they were told, and, you know, you lost to Tennessee, you broke this streak. So certainly I think they're going to be motivated. Now, on the other side of the coin, Tennessee would have to be motivated too because they have not beaten Alabama and Tuscaloosa since the, the dreaded, cursed 4th and 19 game in 2003 that went into like four overtimes where Alabama couldn't run the clock out and it was first and two. Think about that. Alabama had a first and two. I mean, yeah. uh, and, and could not get a first down that would have run the clock out. So, um, you know, they haven't won uh, in Tuscaloosa since then. And they haven't beaten Alabama back-to-back -back since that game. And then they won again in Knoxville in 04 before the 6-3 to three, uh, slugfest. Alabama won in 05 uh, before winning in 06 again uh, in, in, in Knoxville uh, and before Nick Saban came to town. So, uh, Tennessee hasn't had sustained success in this series in a while. 
But if you've also studied the series, Chris, it's been a series of streaks. Uh, they yeah. think kind of streaky, and Alabama's trying to stop that. And so it's going to be really interesting because they've got a buy coming up that would be huge because they would give them two weeks to heal up and get ready for the best offense in the SEC by a, a wide margin. And no disrespect, I know Ole Miss beat them, but I, I'm sorry. I would still take every day and twi twice on Sunday the, old, the LSU offense over Ole Miss. But Alabama's going to need extra preparation time, and they need to uh, get some confidence, though, back offensively against Tennessee. And it's not going to be easy because I think the thing that's kind of been lost in all this, and I got to give Coach Tim Banks a lot of credit, is Tennessee in, in the last two years has improved exponentially defensively. Uh, I think yeah. with, Rodney Garner's done a great job developing their front. Uh, their linebackers, uh, you know, uh, Aaron Beasley, is he's gone from really getting booted off the team to being one of the best linebackers in the SEC. Now, I think much like A&M, Tennessee's back end can be exploited, but can Alabama exploit it? Can they block Tennessee's pass rush? And can Milrow complete the throws? Because Arkansas had to pick their poison last week. They decided they are not we, – we have no chance and we are not going to let them run the ball down our throats. So we're going to have to make Milrow beat us. And Milrow was not on in the second half. And so Tennessee, I would expect their game plan to be much the same. And if I'm Alabama, I want to – this is going to sound funny because Alabama, going into the season, Chris, we talked about it. I've been on your show. They were going to be one of the best running teams in the SEC. They wanted to run the football, establish the line of scrimmage. Now that we've seen this team evolve and develop, the best way for Alabama to attack people to me is try to get Milrow in a rhythm early. And what I mean is throwing the football where he's comfortable and then start pounding with the running game. Now, if he's off early, then, I mean, I, then that's that's an issue and you're going to have to figure out a way. And I and I still say, even if he is, the, big, the best way for him to get himself going and, the, and then get this running game going too, and this is the next step for this offense because he's only done it in one game, Chris. He's got to make plays with his feet. And if, yeah. you've, if you've watched enough of Milrow, I keep hearing national people or even people that don't cover Alabama saying, he's so dangerous with his feet. How? Because he never runs. The only game he was dangerous was Mississippi State, and he scored two touchdowns. Well, and, and Arkansas last year. Well, yeah, but here's, and here, but here's the common denominator in all of it, Chris, and you saw them both. Here's no. the funny thing about Milrow, and I'm as guilty as anyone. I think I came on your show early when we were previewing Alabama, and I said, well – RPO, zone read, you know, that kind of concept. That's what they need to do with Jalen Milrow and, and feature quarterback runs and quarterback draws. Nope, nope, nope. I've watched enough of Milrow now. He's not comfortable doing any of that. It's not natural to him. The best thing you've got to do is try to get him going and try to start getting him to swing the ball to the backs a little bit, but also just the short intermediate passes, the quick game, and, and a different kind of quick game, quick outs, hooks, stuff like that that you saw against Texas A&M. And then if he's going to run, it needs to be improvisational because yeah. the Mississippi State 53-yard touchdown up the middle, that was a pass play. And then you saw the middle open up. He needs to take that because there's a lot of teams watching film and they don't think he's going to run, Chris. And so they leave the middle wide open. Take off, run. And so he needs to, he needs to make them respect that. And so they'll have to spy him, maybe even, you know, and, 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 and try to uh, 
give extra attention, but it would also scare teams enough to where it would probably would open up the passing game even more. So, and even the running game. So, I think the best way for Milrow to attack people with his legs is just to early take what you give him. In other words, if I'm the coaching staff, he did throw the ball away once in the last game. Every now and then, throw it away. But most times, man, if you don't see your second read open, if you get to your second read, just take off. Yeah. If it's a three-yard run, hey, great. That you just he just doesn't need to keep taking the unnecessary sacks and you know and yeah. the hits. And and I know the stats out there. Alabama's given up an, an SEC worst 31 sacks. And but I still think nearly 13 or 14 of those are the quarterback's fault. Mm. And, and he's got to learn to step up. That's the next the next step in his evolution, besides being a willing runner, is to learn to step up in the pocket as I'm kind of giving you this demonstration with my hands, but step up in the pocket, help the offensive line. And then I think also when you're doing that, uh, it'll, I think it'll cut down on the, on the pressures a little bit. And I think uh, the one, the most sobering stat that I've seen going into this game, the most sobering one A&M was the no touchdown passes in the red zone. The most sobering stat going into this game coming off of Arkansas for Alabama is that, Pro Football Focus, I think, did this. They they have uh, went back and studied every quarterback in the SEC and how quickly they get rid of the football. And Jalen Milrow is 14th out of 14. Uh, he, he holds the ball nearly three and a half seconds per play. That's an eternity. You have yeah. got to get rid of the ball. And I know I'll give him credit. One thing he has done uh, since the, uh, the interception against Ole Miss in the first half in the end zone is he hasn't turned it over. Okay? He has not turned it over. But to be honest with you, some of that you've got to throw the ball away and you also have to take off, use your legs. And I, I just think overall you've got to also let the ball go and throw it on time because there's guys open. It's just a, it's a, he's a younger guy, even though he's a red shirt, uh, you know, sophomore. He's just raw and he's getting better. It's just one of those things. It's not at a high, high clip and it's kind of frustrating. And so – when, and the most frustrating part, honestly, is is Milrow not taking off and running because he's – to be honest with you, Chris, this this Alabama team, they've made explosive plays vertically throwing the ball. But last yeah. year we saw Jameer Gibbs lead the nation in yards per carry, and he was so explosive in the backfield. And we saw, you know, McClellan break long runs. They're not breaking long runs this year. Their most explosive runner is Milrow, and he needs to be that guy. And he needs to hurt teams with his legs, so it'll help out his teammates. So it's going to be really interesting to see the chess match between Tim Banks and kind of and and of course Tommy Rees and how Alabama attacks Tennessee. I look at the stats in this game, and look, Tennessee's played a much easier game or schedule so far than has Alabama. But you can only play what's in front of you, and, and the stats have been good. Um, Alabama is giving up. Four and a half yards a snap. Tennessee, four point four, which which means if if they play at that level, you're looking at a game with probably under six hundred yards combined of total offense. Mm -hmm. It feels to me like Alabama is the team that is more equipped to win the game by big plays. Uh, some of the things that you've already noted, plus the fact that Tennessee, I think, is last in the SEC in explosive pass plays of twenty yards or more downfield. And B, Tennessee's averaging 6.3 yards a running play. That's taking sacks and quarterback, you know, 
well, not quarterback runs, but that's taking sacks out of it. So, and Alabama's been okay at defending the run there, but not not elite like it's been in the past. Feels to me like this is a game where if you're Tennessee, you just want to control clock and run Jalen Wright and those guys and Jabari Small and and keep ahead of the chains and just keep that clock moving. And if you're Alabama, um, you're probably more equipped to to pop a big play downfield or with Milrow or something. Well, I, it seems to me like those are the keys to victory for both teams. I'll just say this, and of course he passed away a few years ago, but I had a lot of respect for Johnny Majors and, and how good a coach he was. And um, I think if Coach Majors were here today, and and of course Coach Stallings is 88 years old and he'll be watching from Texas, this will be their kind of game. I yeah. think it's going to be a defense and kicking game. I think it's going to be an old school running game, kick and, uh, you know, whoever runs the football can stop the run. Uh, and then the kicking game. And, and I think Alabama has a better defense than Tennessee, even though Tennessee's improved. I, right now, I think Alabama has the best defense in the SEC. I know yeah. they have a couple hiccups against Arkansas, but their pass rush is really good. And I'm talking about organic. They're, they're, when they've, when they've blitzed, their blitz packages have been better. You know, I had a I had an exchange on Twitter this weekend with someone that was trying to tell me that statistically Pete Golding's defenses were better than this one. Hey, look, man, I go by what my eyes see. I, yeah. And stats can lie. <laughs> and so I just know that I, I, I trust this defense more than I did Golding's. It's more sound. I know they play with more physicality. People that I talk to and trust believe that. I think Steele being an overseer has been huge. Uh, I think he's helped with the defensive line development and the way they play. Uh, also, the outside backers, uh, you know, because I know you know I've questioned, uh, you know, before the season started and even during the season, Freddie Roach early in the year, Coleman Hutzler. But I think, you know, Kevin Steele kind of being an overseer and, and guiding those guys has helped. Uh, I think the back end has been better this year, even though they lost all those guys to the NFL. I just think the defense is – the communication is better. I just think overall it's a tougher defense. They're playing with an edge. Uh, they're playing nasty. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, and I think Tennessee's improved too. But I just think Alabama is is better, you know, defensively. And I think Alabama has as good a combination of kicker and punter uh, as is anybody yeah. in, the, in the SEC. And I think that could be huge in this game along with the home crowd. And I'll just tell you, this home crowd is going to be juiced. After yeah. what happened last year, everybody wants to beat Tennessee. And so I think it's going to be in a, a raucous environment. Probably the best – it will probably be a better crowd than Texas, honestly. Because, wow. look, yeah. they, had, they beat Texas last year. They did not beat Tennessee. Uh, and there's no love loss between these two schools. So I think, you know – and I think Alabama is a better football team than they were when they played Texas. I certainly think Milrow is playing better, though he's coming off of a bad second half and things of that nature. But I just think – and I do think with the injury to Brew McCoy, that hurts Tennessee – uh, they still got Squirrel White. He's capable, uh, and he's and he'll be motivated. He's from Clay Chalkville, forty-five minutes down the road. Uh, and Ramel Keaton's a good player, uh, but I, I still think that Alabama can contain Tennessee. It's just going to come down to can you stop the run? Can you stop that? Uh, you know, J Jalen Wright, Jabari Small, Dylan Sampson. They've got you know kind of a three-headed deal going on. Uh, you've got to stop those guys. They rushed for two thirty-eight last week against Texas A&M. Uh, but I still think if Alabama, like I think Florida held them to about 100 yards. If Alabama can get between the 120 to 130 mark and, and then force, uh, you know, Joe Milton to beat them, then I think they can 
it's the old Gene Stallingsism, you know, run the football, outrush the opponent, stop the run, and then win the plus minus. Force a couple of turnovers, which they didn't against Arkansas. Uh, they need to force a couple turnovers like they did against AM and uh, and, and to get the, get some turnovers. And then and, – and against Mississippi State, that was huge on the road. Uh, no question about it. But they need to – and then they need to make two or three big offensive plays. I think if they give Milrow time, they can make some plays on the Tennessee secondary. And I still think it's going to be what you said, a low-scoring game. I think the over-under is 48, 49 points. I think that's about right. I picked Alabama 29 to 20. And I and again, I still think they're going to have trouble in the red zone because their offense has all year and because Tennessee's good on D. So I think I'm got I've got five Will Reichert field goals. Yeah. A couple of touchdown drives. And then Alabama defensively, you know, getting a couple of turnovers, making enough plays and and stymieing that Tennessee running game enough uh to win a 29 to 20 kind of slugfest matchup. Yeah, you just mentioned the name that I was going to ask you about next because Will Reichard, we don't talk much about kickers on this show, but I believe just set the SEC's all-time scoring record last week and and also has not missed a kick this year. Um, when points are at a premium, and I think they might be in this one, not, not that Charlie Campbell at Tennessee's bad, but yeah. I think there's a, there's a kicker who's clearly better in this game. Well, and, and Will will be motivated because if you remember last year, and, and again, it's a tough, it was a tough kick on the road. I mean, when you're having to kick a 50 plus yarder to win a game that would have potentially won the game, uh, Reichert missed a 50 yarder that would have still won the game probably in regulation for Alabama. It's a rare miss in his career. Uh, so certainly that's probably one that kind of stuck in his crawl a little bit. And he's 46 points away, amazingly, uh, now that he's got this COVID year back. Because if you remember, uh, Chris, he missed half of his freshman year to, due to injury and came back. He's 46 points away from being the NCAA's all-time scoring leader. Wow. So yeah. he's had one heck of a career. He's as good a kicker as I've ever seen at Alabama. And, you know, I know you know Chris Saylor and the kicking camps he does. I'm yeah. having him on my show when Will Reichert committed. And I said, well, Chris, I see all these rankings of, of how you rank kickers and, and, and how you rank uh, Will Reichert. You've got him the number one kicker in America. How good is he? He said, well, Drew, here's the way I would equate it. Um, and Chris was an All-American at UCLA, kicked in the pros. He said, coming out of high school, Will Riker could go to camp and probably he would have a chance to make a third of the NFL teams out of high school. Oh, my. That's what he said. He said now. And he said he's a really good punter, too. And he is. He showed the other day he's a solid punter. But he said he's definitely a guy that is going to kick in the NFL one day. And he's no doubt lived up to it. I know some people were kind of doubting him before he got, you know, when he got hurt his freshman year in 19. But you remember in the 2020 year, he didn't miss a kick. And Alabama yeah. won the national championship. So he's not automatic, but he's dadgum good. And he gives Alabama, I think, an advantage in every game they have. All right, let's let's hit a couple of SEC topics quickly. My, my son nearly made his podcast debut a minute ago behind me. So, uh, but probably my cue to, to get out of here in a minute. But, um, Hot seat. What coaches do you think in this league are truly on the hot seat? Well, you know, I, I know people want to talk about Coach Pittman. I've already kind of spoken on that. I I don't, you know, buy the fact he's on the hot seat. I think Jimbo is, no question. Uh, if they go seven and five or worse, some of these Aggies, I mean, they obviously don't care about money. They gave him $95 million 
just a couple of years ago. They they have they've got so much money they don't know what to do with it. So I mean they I think they would figure out a way to buy out the seventy seven million I think they owe him and they would probably he'd be out of town he'd be gone, uh, you know. And, and then I, I don't think Coach Beamer is because they've been disappointing, but it doesn't t- completely surprise me. I've never yeah. thought the fact that that Billy Napier was either. Because, look, you have to pay attention to the recruiting. He's recruiting off the charts. Yes. And you have to give him time. I think year two is way too early uh, to be questioning him. But, again, I, I think I, I think Jimbo Fisher and maybe, depending on how he does the rest of this season, is Zach Arnett. And the only reason I say that is it was kind of puzzling. I guess they had to do that because you don't yeah. see the coaches standing when pass away. And they did play well under him in the bowl game, but they have not looked good. And so, to me, that's probably the two guys, Jimbo Fisher and Zach Arnett, that I would say could be in trouble. Other than that, I really don't think Drinkwitz has obviously had his breakout year with Missouri. Stoops, look, man, they're paying that guy $9 million. Kentucky knows who they are, at least from an administration standpoint. They're not going to panic. And just because they've lost a couple games, put him on the hot seat. Uh, but I just think overall, when you look at it, I, I would say, uh, you know, definitely Texas A&M and maybe Mississippi State. But I think everybody else is pretty secure in where they are. All right. When the dust settles in December, the four teams in playoff are who? <sighs> well, I'm going to tell you what. The game that I was the most interested in watching, um, you know, for the future and just because – I'm fascinated with, uh, you know, how well both had played. There were Dan Lanning and, and, and yeah. uh, of course, uh, Kalen DeBoer at Oregon and Washington. And it was a high-level game. I mean, I thought both coaches kind of took some unnecessary gambles and skewing field goals to go for touchdowns. But, I mean, that's just the kind of football they play. It's kind of different in the mm-hmm. Pac-12. But I was very impressed with Oregon and their approach, their balance, their physicality. Um, I, now, Dan has got a – Stop taking so many chances. He was kind of reckless, in my opinion. But he's a young coach. He's got a lot of potential. I like his intensity. Uh, I think, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Washington comes out of the Pac-12 uh, and can get there. Washington or Oregon, because they're probably going to play in yeah. a rematch. And then I, I would say Texas-Oklahoma winner in a rematch. I still think those two. Uh, and then I'm just going to tell you about, like, indiv- I'm going to have, like, uh, in, in, individual outcomes, like okay, the winner. This, of, this is an impossible question to answer, by the way. Is, so I, I can sympathize it with it. I'm, but I, I'm going to kind of hedge and say, okay, the winner of Washington, Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. In my opinion, that's who it's going to be. And then, yeah. uh, and then the winner of Texas, Oklahoma, in a rematch in the Big 12 championship game. And then I think also uh, when you think about it, the winner of Ohio State, Michigan, because I'm. I just don't believe in James Franklin and Penn State. I think I don't yeah. think they're going to be able to to beat those two. Michigan or Ohio State's going to be in the playoff. And then I've still got to say whoever comes out of the SEC, and I'll just give it a caveat. Alabama will be in Atlanta if they win the next two games. Okay. Now, if they don't, there's no guarantees there. But if Alabama can navigate Tennessee and LSU at home, then they'll be in Atlanta, and then it'll be either – Alabama or Georgia, because I still think even without the best player in the SEC or one of the two best, let me not disrespect Jaden Daniels, uh, with Brock Bowers being out. And by the way, I've seen these tight ropes, as you know, with us folks that covered Alabama, they had enough experience with them with 
Tua Tungavailoa and Cam Robinson and others that and Jalen Hurts that have had this injury. I don't buy the fact that it's going to be four to six weeks for Bowers. I think he'll be back by Ole Miss. That's three weeks because they got to have him because potentially, if you look at the schedule, if Kiffin can get out of his own way, that could be a, a one-loss team versus an undefeated Georgia, and that's a yeah. big deal. And they're going to need Brock back. So, to me, Alabama-Georgia, if that ends up being your matchup in the SEC championship game, the winner of that game goes to the playoff. And then, uh, like I said, Ohio State-Michigan – Oregon, Washington, and, and Oklahoma and Texas. I think that's the, the group of teams that I just talked about is where yeah. the four is going to come from. There's literally about, I think, when I counted up, about 11 teams that have got some kind of a shot, some kind being 10% or better. Ohio State, Michigan, Oklahoma, Penn State, Texas, Oregon, Georgia, Washington, Florida State, Alabama. Uh, actually, North Carolina would be in there too, so that would be—I guess it'd be eleven. Um, and then, you know, if you if you want to get into Ole Miss and, and maybe LSU, if some crazy stuff happened. But yeah, it's it, it's going to be a fascinating year. I, I can't wait to see how it plays out. Uh, you guys do a phenomenal job down in Huntsville. Tell tell folks where they can find your show, where they can find you on Twitter, all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. And let me make one more caveat because I know I didn't really bring up Florida State and they're kind of hanging there uh, undefeated in yeah. the ACC. But I still got a feeling uh, they're going to trip up somewhere. And 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 if they have a loss, uh, I think a one-loss Florida State coming from the ACC is going to get bumped by the four teams I just uh, – uh, four of those teams out of that group I just mentioned. And I, yeah. Because I – now, Florida State could crash that party if they're undefeated. But I just got a feeling, you know, they almost lost to Boston College. And so uh, I just got a, I got a feeling that they're going to trip up somewhere along the way in the ACC because people were talking up Louisville after they beat Notre Dame and they fell flat the next week. Yeah. And so I just got a funny feeling FSU will, will trip up somewhere. But they can connect with me at DrewD977ESPN on Twitter, my personal account, and 977ESPN for our station. Scott Tyson and I bring you Talking Ball 7 to 9 a.m. Monday through Friday. You've been a big part of uh, our uh, Talking Ball over there. You're a big part of the recruiting blitz, and now it's kind of been, uh, you know, uh, melded in with the, our show, The Morning Blitz, which is uh, from 9 to 10. I'm on there three days a week talking recruiting and SEC. Uh, they can catch me on that show as well. Uh, and we just always appreciate the opportunity to be on Southeastern 14. You guys do a great job, you and Blake, and looking forward to seeing you. Uh, talking about some round ball tomorrow uh, as we hear from all the SEC men's head basketball coaches. Yeah, which, again, you you and I will be doing uh, as people are watching this since we pre-recorded it. But can't wait to get there. The, the overlap of, of football and basketball is always fun. Uh, There's going to be a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, you guys do a phenomenal job down there with everything you do. Thanks for joining me, Drew, and, and we'll catch you later. Well, absolutely. And just one final thing, and Chris will know what I'm talking about here. I still love Christian Leighton. <laughs> yeah, we we won't go there. We don't want to. We don't want to lose our our uh, our Lexington contention here at the podcast. But anyway, a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hey, uh, he's Trudy Armand. I'm Chris Lee of Southeastern 14 in the SEC Daily. We'll be back on Thursday with more live content. Same on Friday. You catch us every day from 11 to noon Central. Thank you for watching. God bless you. We'll see you again soon.